Hi, I'm Vincent Andrasani, and this is episode 22 of The Place of Sound. This episode is the third in a three-part retrospective listen to some of the work that aired on The Place of Sound in 2021. The first episode in this series, episode 20, explored the audio portrait, and we learned a bit about how audio portraits are produced while listening back to seven distinct projects. We did the same in part two, episode 21, which focused on the soundscape composition. And in that episode, we listened back to four different projects. In this, the third and final episode, we'll explore a more documentary or podcast-style approach to storytelling. Because this is a much longer form of audio production, we have the time to listen to only two projects. The first is titled Barney and Me by Caitlin Merskog and is a tribute to her bunny, Barney. Barney was a great companion to Caitlin during the first few months of the lockdown, helping her through the feelings of isolation that so many of us have experienced over the last 18 or so months. The second piece is titled The Memory Clock and is by Kit Chalkley. I'll let Kit introduce their work themselves, which we'll hear immediately following Caitlin's piece. It's a fabulous project that you can learn more about by checking out the Featured Work section on the Place of Sound website. In the meantime, enjoy these two projects, which are excellent examples of the work that airs regularly on the Place of Sound. The reason we're smiling is because of you, Barney. Today has been really special. Oh, it was special for me, too. Of course, every day is special when you spend it with people you love. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love me too? Now that we have sort of reached a new kind of normal, or something resembling that of life before the pandemic, the months leading up to the summer seem somewhat of a distant memory. To me, it feels like March to June happened two years ago, rather than six months. I remember saying to myself and friends, this is going to blow over soon, maybe in two weeks. Yeah, Sure, Jan, cut to December 9th, and we're still here. The fact of the matter is, the person you are today never would have existed if that time never happened. All of us experiencing the trials and tribulations that COVID has offered us. Even so, I'm sure we can all agree when I say, I wish this never happened. And I'm sure we have all wondered how different life would be if it didn't. I could choose to be angry over the circumstances, which I am, but... Instead, I have come to peace with it, and I'm excited to see what the future holds. Hopefully something bright to lead us out of this indefinite abyss. During my time in quarantine, I had found new ways of keeping myself occupied. Yes, there was school, but I'm sure many students can relate when I say that school can only occupy so much of your time. I took comfort in cooking, learning new recipes, trying out foods I probably never would have bothered to try as I never had the time. I also tried my best to exercise. Okay, when I say I tried my best, I think I only worked out for a week. Even Chloe Ting, the booty master, couldn't pull me out of my COVID funk. Or maybe that's because I was too busy drinking. 
whoops, I said what I said. There's a reason LCBO stayed open, like Wendy Williams greeting me at the door saying, how you doing? (laughs) However, anything I could have done could not have helped the inevitable loneliness I experienced during this time. Cue tiny violin music from Spongebob. Many times a night, I found myself lost, confused, and isolated in my lamented sadness, unearthed in my sanctuary, my one bedroom plus an apartment in Ottawa. Unfortunately, I had the den, with no window, and instead a small glass partition letting in the few hours of daylight. Daylight I would never see because I was half asleep most of the time. Adjusting from working until two in the morning to doing nothing at all was also rather difficult. I used to be a hostess at a restaurant. I yearned to go back to my daily routine, one where I could look hot and go to work, look hot and go to Joey's, look hot and go to school. Okay, who am I kidding? I look like a dead rat going to school. But it was the principle of something to look forward to, having a regimen, having a life. But like all of us, I had to adopt a new one. Amongst all my experiences during this time, there really is only one thing I was so grateful for, and that was my sweet little rabbit, Barney. I could go on and on about being alone, but I never really was. Even though he couldn't talk or do anything resembling a human, his presence was more than enough. I never knew that when I got him, that his purpose in my life was so much greater than what I thought it ever could be. I had animals pretty much my whole life, Yes, most of them being goldfish and a hamster ones, but the only pets I consider family are my angels back at home, my cats, Nala and Sienna, who I raised from being kittens. But when I moved to Ottawa, I couldn't take them with me, so for four years I was always missing that part of my life, and many times I found myself wanting a little pet for myself during my time here. But due to circumstance, committing to a pet was not in the cards for me, so I did without. It wasn't until August of last year I was given an opportunity. Me and my brother William were on our way back home from visiting my father's grave on his death anniversary. Sorry, I know that was unexpected, but this is just how the story goes. I digress. We were passing at PetSmart, as we've done many times before, but something kept telling me to stop. I told him to pull over so I could go in and get some treats for the girls. While I was in the cat aisle, William called out to me and said, Caitlin, come look at this rabbit. (laughs) So I run over and see the cutest little rabbit I've ever seen. He was white with light gray ears and paws. Immediately, I fell in love with him and I broke the rules and opened the cage to pet him. He was so soft, sweet and gentle. I whispered little coos to him, and as I was saying my goodbyes, he ran up to the cage and stood up as if to say, Where are you going? Come back! I knew right then and there that he was mine. I took him home the next day, and thus started my adventure with my new rabbit. Barney's original name was Snowball, and obviously I had to change it. When I was little, my dad used to sing to me, I love you, you love me, from Barney. So there was only one name I had in mind, and it suited him perfectly. My dad's from Finland, and his nickname for me was Pupu when I was a little girl, which means bunny in Finnish. I'd like to think he sent Barney to me that day. Just as I was his Pupu, Barney was mine. Barney taught me so much. I'd never owned a rabbit before, and I won't lie that getting used to him and his behaviors and lifestyle wasn't easy. You wouldn't think that rabbits are a lot of work, but believe me, they are. They are so high maintenance. 
And I didn't want to be that rabbit owner who kept them in a cage all day while feeding them cheap pellets and water from a bottle. I wanted to give him the best life possible. He was free roam 90% of the time, had a big X-band to sleep in. He knew how to use a litter box, got fresh hay every day, got fresh food every day. His regular meal being one full romaine lettuce head, three carrots or two apples topped with cilantro. I always wanted to incorporate other foods, but that little bastard was so picky, he only ate those things. Well, that and anything I was eating. I could never be in peace when doing so. I admit that I am a couch eater and I love to watch Netflix while I eat. And the second I picked up my plate to go sit, Barney was chasing after me. I would have to push him off the couch at least six times before I could enjoy my food. But that sweet little face earned a couple nibbles if he tried hard enough. Above all, Barney's number one guilty pleasure, something he would have killed for, was tortilla chips. Even if I would crinkle the bag, he would bolt from wherever he was, tumbling over his big clumsy rabbit feet, getting ready to munch and crunch. I also love those chips, the specific brand being the Tostitos Cantina chips, and I always had them in the house, so he often got his fill. Me and Barney developed our own relationship. I was his mommy, and he was my little boy. My life revolved around him, his schedule being incorporated with mine, feeding him, changing his litter, spending time with him. But in exchange, he gave me a friendship, a friendship I would never have known if it weren't for him. Always there for me, offering me his silent presence, a laugh, a cuddle, (laughs) or if I was lucky, a kiss on the cheek. In November last year, I got mono, which is as shitty as people say it is, and I had no one to take care of me. My roommate paid no mind to me while I suffered, so I spent most of my time in bed. So I had to let Barney roam around my bedroom and the living room unsupervised. One night, I felt him jump onto my bed, and I was too weak to push him off. Accepting the fate of him pooing or peeing, yes, he did that. Unfortunately, it is a rabbit's way of saying, I love you, you're mine. I noticed he wasn't moving, and I got suspicious, so I got up. And there he was, laying at the edge of my feet his fat neck and chest puffed out, eyes half shut. He was protecting me, knowing that I was sick. It was then I knew Barney loved me just as much as I loved him. That's the thing with animals. They really are much more in tune with us than we think. His intelligence alone reminded me that even the simplest rabbit is capable of feeling emotions similar to ours, to feel a sense of familiarity, safety, comfort, and love. He really was the only true friend I've ever had here, because with him, I was never alone. When COVID hit, my roommate moved in with her boyfriend in another city, so it was just me and Barney. He was the majority of my life, as my only real purpose was to take care of him. Yes, I took up other activities like cooking, working out, sometimes, or whatever else, but my only real responsibility was to make sure that he was happy and healthy. Every three days, I would trek out in the cold to buy lettuce or to Healthy Pets on Bank Street to buy pellets and hay. Every day at 5 p.m., he got fed, and again at 12 a.m. We had a late schedule. And every day, I tried my best to keep him entertained, or mainly myself entertained, as I was always bothering him. I would hold Barney in my arms as I danced around the living room listening to the weekend's new album. I would hold him close to my chest and slow dance to Frank Sinatra, my little Fred Astaire. Okay, that sounds weird, but even little things like dancing with him, I found so much joy in, and he never seemed to mind as I slowly spun him around and lifted him in the air like Johnny did to Baby in Dirty Dancing. He also was my audience as I sung opera while doing dishes in the kitchen. I would watch him munch loudly away on his lettuce in the living room. 
In the bathroom, I would hold him up in the mirror and point to his reflection and say, look, it's you! His big feet dangling in my arms while his tiny paws gripped my shoulder. When the weather got better, I would frequently take Barney out on walks. Yes, he had a leash and he loved to go outside. It always took him a few minutes to get adjusted, but when he was comfortable, it felt like I was walking a dog. We would walk around Dow's Lake or the Arboretum, strangers gawking at us, probably because they had never seen a rabbit being walked on a leash. Or other times, I would have people come up to me and say, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen, because he just was the cutest thing. Being confined to the house was not only a lot for me, but for him, and we took comfort in being able to go outside when we could. Some days I wouldn't feel like going to Dow's, so I would venture to the large grass space outside the government building surrounding my house. I would set up a blanket accompanied with music, chips, and my Barney, and we would lay down together. He would rest in the crook of my neck while we lay out in the sunshine that would cast in his red eyes, turning them lavender. And with the good days came the bad days. Days I would miss home, my friends, the entirety of my old life. I would often fall asleep on the couch midday, wallowing in my self-pity, but I was always awakened to a sleeping Barney beside my head. He always made me feel better. When lockdown was lifted and we had more mobility in Barney, our lives, I had family matters to attend to back that? at home, so Barney got to enjoy the summer in my backyard, zipping around back and forth, hiding in the garden and curiously following around my cat, Sienna, who even though hissed at him, would always keep a watchful eye. Even my other cat, Nala, who was also skeptical of him, found herself playing sister to him, even if that meant hey, her batting him on the head. It brought me so much happiness to have given him a beautiful summer after such a confining spring. I had to go back and forth from Toronto to Ottawa quite frequently. Barney accompanied me each time, and long hours of traveling were quite straining on the both of us. Our last trip proved to be too stressful, and Barney got sick. I immediately knew what he had, GI status, the most common killer of rabbits. He had it before, and I knew the protocol, so I took him to the vet, and because of COVID, I couldn't come inside with him. To this day, I don't know what happened when he was in there, but when I took him home, I knew something wasn't right. He was limp in my arms when I took him out of his carrier, and all I could do was hold him to my chest. As we silently sat there, he mustered whatever strength he had left to lick my face. I gave him his medicine, told him I loved him, and decided to give him some quiet time to rest. I laid him in his pen and covered him in the baby blue blanket I bought him when I first got him. Later that night, he passed away. You might ask, how could something so small mean something so big? The answer is easy. Even though he was just a little rabbit, Barney taught me to find happiness in the littlest of things, to always look at the bright side, acceptance, patience, and as cheesy as it sounds, how to love with an open heart. When I look back on my time with him, it not only reminds me of what I lost during this time of isolation, but also what I gained. I gained a new sense of self, being able to make do with what I was given, to find things to keep me sane, entertained, or even finding new things about myself. If it weren't for COVID, I probably never would have bothered to learn how to cook sous vide scrambled eggs or learn how to do the choreography to Slay for You by Britney Spears. I never would have had to learn how to find comfort in being alone or to find happiness and excitement in going to the park watching strangers with their dogs or the ducks and the ducklings diving for food in the lake. I never would have learned that even the little things in life are enough to be able to say, I have a life worth living. 
And most importantly, I never would have realized that even having a little rabbit to keep me company could make the most dreary day into a wonderful one. And I'm sure anyone can relate to at least one thing that has done the same for them. Over time, I have come to peace with Barney's death, and I am eternally grateful for the time I spent with him. But as I say this, I realize that his death represents more than the loss of a pet, but also the loss of what you once knew, the uncertainty of the future full of despair and anger. But as time goes by, life reveals that not all change is bad, and that there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. It just takes some time to get there. After a very long year, there's a lot I miss. I miss going to Carlton. I miss going to work. <laughs> I miss boys. I miss going to the bar with my friends. I miss my family, but most of all, I miss my sweet baby boy, my Barney. I'll never know why God chose to end our time together, but I do know that Barney came to me for a reason and that he loved me just as I loved him. I only ever wanted to give him a beautiful life. I never thought he would have given me one in return. And such a gift it was to have loved and to be loved by this silly, rebunctious, friendly, and sweet little rabbit. I'll always love you, Barney. Thank you for being my friend. I took Dr. Adrasani's digital media production class in the winter semester of 2020. And just as the semester was coming to an end, Ottawa went into lockdown and we were left to complete the course from home. And so suddenly I found myself cut off from the many places I wanted to explore with my field recorder for my final project. And although this seemed like a limitation at the time, it ended up prompting the Isolation Museum, a project with contributors from all over the world and something that has encouraged social connections I otherwise would never have made while in lockdown. But it all started with my recorder in hand, collecting the sounds I could find from within my own home. And I thought I knew all the intimate sounds of my apartment, despite not being home very often before lockdown. There's a drippy bathtub faucet, the hum of the refrigerator, the traffic noises that found their way in even when the windows were closed, uh, my neighbor's television blaring through our shared wall. But the more time I spent in my home during lockdown, the more I noticed other little noises, and the way that these sounds were all connected to other places and people. Some were infrastructural connections, like the noises of waterways, of electrical grids, and city streets, and the shared walls of an apartment complex. But in other cases, these sounds also represented sentimental connections. And it's the latter that I found particularly interesting, and it's what m led me to focus my final project on the sounds of the clock hanging in my front of the hall. My sister made this clock from a basketball hoop that used to hang outside her childhood home, and it holds a lot of sentimental value for me. So I decided to call her, she lives in Australia, and ask her about the memories that she had attached to the clock, as well as her process in making it. And the practice of doing so led to a brilliant conversation and a profound feeling of connection with my sister that I was already missing during my short time in lockdown thus far. So although she was halfway around the world and we knew we wouldn't be able to see each other anytime soon, talking about the clock together had us reminiscing about where we came from and where we each are today. So in a way, the clock acted as a bridge between siblings, between the past and the present, and between Canada and Australia. And I thought it would be really good to share this experience with others and encourage them to try it themselves and also to share their reflections. 
So I built the isolation museum in an effort to build an archive of reflections from lockdown. Here, people could share the many objects, people, pets, and activities that was keeping them company while in isolation, and importantly, connect them to others. And it seemed like this prompting was something that people wanted. Uh, much to my surprise, contributions to the museum began to roll in, and I had to approve each one individually. So reading through the submissions became a source of company for me. I met people from all over Canada and the world, uh, community volunteers, hospital workers, Scrabble winners, struggling students, family pets, and a whole variety of incredible artists. Some people began emailing me about their day-to-day -day lives, just wanting someone to talk to while stuck at home. Some shared everyday joy, others stories of heartbreak. And although I named it the Isolation Museum, this project became my very connection to the world as we wrote out the first wave of the pandemic here in Ottawa. Looking back now, over a year later, and back in strict lockdown, I think my perspective on what exactly the Isolation Museum is has changed. More than an archive of isolation, I think it's an archive of hope. The pandemic has been incredibly difficult for so many people, but many of the submissions that I've received have this element of hope and a continued desire to connect with others, even through and over pain. And looking through the artifacts in the Isolation Museum continues to give me hope, although sometimes this does border on naivety. For example, I've been talking about closing down the submission portal since last August, under the belief that we were close to returning to a quote-unquote normal. Obviously, that was not the case. And maybe this is a continuation of my naivete, but I remain hopeful about what this normal we will return to might be. Rather than resigning ourselves to the status quo, there's the potential for us to return to a new normal. A normal with racial justice, with fair pay for essential workers, paid sick days, more accessible healthcare, and better care for our environment. And while these goals can seem like high hopes, the pandemic has shown that it holds the possibility for systemic changes to happen. So submissions to the Isolation Museum have certainly slowed down, but I keep the submission portal open because we need all the hope we can get if we're to make this new normal a reality. Since last year, I've moved the basketball clock to the wall right beside my desk, and I hear it ticking every day as I work, one second at a time. It keeps going, and so will we. This clock sits in my apartment's front entrance. It is beautiful in its simplicity, but there is something strange about it. If you take a closer look, you'll realize it's built from something unexpected. It's kind of always been a part of our childhood home. I consider that home in Trenton like our childhood home. It's where we did most of our growing as a family. And I just remember like so many afternoons and evenings playing basketball, playing 21 with dad or with you or with Derek. And it was just a very fond memory I had as a kid doing that in the summertime. That's right. This clock is made from the basketball hoop that used to hang outside my childhood home. That voice you just heard was the artist and my sister, Rebecca. She's speaking to me from all the way in Australia, so please excuse the audio quality. So when did you make this clock then? Where were you? 
So I, I came home to Canada for um, a good while, for four months this past year. So for about two weeks, I spent uh, time at dad's place just helping him reorganize a lot of his things. Uh, it's getting a little messy at his house. So um, I, I volunteered to help him out with that. And one thing that I found in the garage was this basketball hoop. And he said that like they took it down, but they didn't want to throw it out because it had so much meaning behind it. So I looked at it and there's actually little metal points on the bottom of the basketball hoop where you connect the little clips for the net. And the, there are 12 points on it, coincidentally enough. So uh, we thought, well, why don't we make it into a clock? So I uh, painted the 12 little points there to, to symbolize the, uh, the hours. And I found some cedar lying around from another job that I had done for my uncle. And I, uh, and I finished it up and, and, I, and I put it all together. And I think it, I think it went quite well. Uh, and I, I knew that it was something that would, given that um, you and Derek, uh, my two siblings, live together, I feel like, I felt like it was something that would kind of connect us all over this thing that we had bonded over so much as a kid, you know? And it, 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 I just thought maybe it would be something fun to look at every time you go through the, your front door. I mean, I can tell you that it is. So, goal achieved. That's great. This clock is especially important to me, not only because of the memories it holds, but also because my sister is so far away. So why are you living in Australia? Uh, do you want the long version? <laughs> <laughs> so I got really into religion in high school, and I, uh, I was baptized into a religion that didn't condone uh, homosexuality as a practice. It was actually something that was very much... Uh, um, like shunned if you were to come out as a homosexual. So what ended up happening was after high school, I decided that that, that religious route really wasn't what I wanted. Um, and that I wanted to be able to love somebody um, and, and come out and just kind of be myself and love what I wanted to love and be what I wanted to be. So I decided to do that when I was about 22. Um, of course, that meant that I, I lost a lot uh, during that year. I lost all my friends. Uh, uh, coincidentally enough, I also lost my job because the, the place that I was working for wasn't doing too well. So I was I was a welder there for three years, but I lost that. And I was at this point in my life where I was just suddenly living at my parents' house and I had no clue what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. If I wanted to find a welding job elsewhere, I was starting to kind of fall out of love with that too. So ultimately, I just, I feel like I had nothing to lose. It's funny, uh, mom actually suggested, she said, uh, you know, you've always wanted to go to Australia. Why don't you just, you know, give it a go? Do like a little working holiday there. So uh, sometimes I wonder if she regrets saying that because now uh, two and a half years later, I'm still here in Australia and I, I live here now. I love this place a lot. You know, I love the sun. I love the weather. And it's, uh, and I love my woman. She just walked by in the doorway. Uh, <laughs> as much as my heart will always part be a part of me in Canada, there's also just... Australia has a part of me too, you know? <laughs> to me, this clock is somewhat bittersweet. It's both a symbol of my sister's newfound happiness and also a reminder of those fond family memories. But it also seems like every second that ticks by pushes us further and further away from our memories and from each other. It's hard to forget that it takes two entire revolutions of that clock, 24 hours, for us to come close enough to hug. I never realized how important it is to have actual physical, like, printed out photos until I came here. Yeah, it's interesting, like, having you so far away. I know we have all these, like, 
digital technologies and like I can talk to you right now and it sounds like you're almost next to me like there's a little bit of lag or whatever but like there's something about having like a material item there that is like was made for me by this person who is very far away right now I think so too it's yeah the more I'm a home I feel like I've I've definitely felt lots of different types of homesickness and it's just one of those things that grounds me is just knowing that there are these little things around the house that do remind me of you guys. And, and as much as you guys are on the other side of the world, you really aren't that far away. You know, I know that you guys are always a call away, always just a flight away. Yeah. This basketball hoop, like I was originally thinking of it as like bridging time, but I guess it also bridges distance too. Absolutely. It can bridge, it can bridge what you want it to bridge. As each second goes past, even though we are technically getting further and further away from the origin of those memories, it's things like those basketball hoop or pictures that we see or, or things that we have around the house that remind us of those memories. Those are the things that actually bring us closer to the memories. We don't have to worry about time tearing us apart from them. It's those little things that will continue to, to bridge that gap. Thanks to Caitlin and Kit for sharing their stories, and thanks to you for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. See you next time.